It's 836. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. 75 degrees. Uh, looks like a nice kind of muggy day. They're predicting some big rain. I don't think severe weather necessarily, just heavy rains uh, this evening. We will see. Good to be back. Uh, thanks to the fill-ins for filling in yesterday. Let's get started. We start off today's program like we start off every program. Three big things. The big national story involves not Donald Trump, but Donald Trump Jr. And the question becomes, how much trouble is Trump Jr. in? Here's the background on on what happens. And as we all know, there has been an ongoing investigation into Russian hacking into the election system, into the the elections. Now, there's, there's no question in my mind that Russia was trying to influence our elections last year. Now, that in and of itself is not necessarily surprising because I have no doubt that the United States has been trying to influence and has influenced elections all over the world. We have certain candidates that we think are going to be more United States friendly, and so we have operatives that work behind the scenes to try to promote their candidacies. I, I, I have no doubt that that has been going on. I also have no doubt that Russia was much more sympathetic for whatever reasons to Donald Trump than Hillary Clinton. And I believe the Russian government had an interest in trying to get Donald Trump elected. Now, that in and of itself is not necessarily surprising, but it doesn't mean it is a good thing. And I think these investigations to determine, you know, were was Russia hacking into election systems? What exactly were they trying to do? I think that is that has a, a ton of merit. The question has always been, though, not whether Russia did it. I think Russia clearly did. But the question has always been, did the Trump campaign essentially enter into a conspiracy with the Russian government to try to influence the election? Because that's the telling thing. And I don't really believe that there's been any evidence, that there is any evidence indicating that that's happened. But the optics continue to be bad. That's one of the cliches. So here's the latest development over the last couple days, and you're probably familiar with this. Uh, Donald Trump Jr., apparently, um, according to the New York Times, he, he gets an email. He's contacted by an intermediary, a third party known to him, who says, hey, there's this Russian lawyer, and she's got some dirt on Hillary Clinton. And would you take a meeting? So Trump Jr. sets up this meeting. Um, the Russian lawyer comes out, and apparently nothing comes of this. There, there's nothing of substance about this particular meeting. It's not like there's any sort of agreement. But it's it's the idea the Trump campaign, through Donald Trump Jr., believes, hey, okay, there, there's somebody that has dirt about this. Now, in and of itself... This isn't particularly surprising. This happens in politics all the time. And for some of the people who are, you know, proposing this faux outrage, I can't believe they took a meeting because they had somebody that there was somebody that said they had negative information about the opponent. Well, that 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 happens all the time in political campaigns. You know, somebody reaching out and saying, hey, I know this secret. I've got this information. This can just blow the the lid off this campaign. Candidates meet with those sorts of people or campaign operatives meet with those sorts of people all the time. Now, what makes this different is this is a Russian lawyer. 
She's not directly associated with the government. And again, nothing apparently comes of this meeting and the information. The reports are she had some general sort of information and then she started talking about adoptions and things like that. Now, the the key is there has been a follow-up, and the New York Times is reporting. Let me just share with you a portion of their reporting. Before arranging a meeting with a Kremlin-connected Russian lawyer he believed would offer him compromising information about Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump Jr. was informed in an email that the material was part of a Russian government effort to aid his father's candidacy, according to three people with knowledge of the email. The email to the younger Mr. Trump was sent by Rob Goldstone, a publicist and former British tabloid reporter who helped broker the June 2016 meeting. In a statement on Sunday, Mr. Trump acknowledged that he was interested in receiving damaging information about Mrs. Clinton, but gave no information that he thought the lawyer might have been a Kremlin proxy. Mr. Goldstone's message, as described to the New York Times by three people, indicates that the Russian government was the source of the potentially damaging information. It does not elaborate on wider effort by Moscow to help the Trump campaign. So let me tell you why this is potentially significant. Again, a candidate being contacted or a campaign being contacted by someone saying, hey, they've got damaging information on the opponent. Will you take a meeting? That is not unusual. That happens all the time. Republicans do it. Democrats do it all the time. So to me, that is pretty much of a, of a non-story. That's, a, again, that's a dog bite man, bites man story. What potentially makes this different is if, in fact, Donald Trump Jr. was told that the information that he's was going to be potentially told to him was coming from the Russian government through this this attorney in an effort to try to help, again, to help the dad's campaign. That raises this to a different level, potentially. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, pretty much everybody agrees that nothing came of this, that there really wasn't anything of substance here. But you do have the you have Junior taking the meeting. How big a deal is this? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this the smoking gun that opponents of Trump have been looking for all along, or is this much ado about nothing? I'll tell you where I come down on this, but I'm curious as to your response. How do you feel about this latest revelation that at least Trump Jr. may have been aware when he took this meeting trying to get um, opposition information, that the information might have been coming from the Russian government. Is this a game changer? We discuss next. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 843. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 847, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Roger Waters brings us his Us and Them tour to the BMO Harris Bradley Center. It's Saturday, July 29th. Hey, get this. Uh, We're also going to be giving you a chance to win a pair of tickets all this week and all next week. Be listening to my show. We're going to do it sometime between 8.30 and noon. You could be enjoying the music of Roger Waters featuring the songs of Pink Floyd right here on 620 WTMJ, your chance to win a pair of tickets. That starts today, again, sometime between now and noon. We will give away a pair and continue to do that for the next two weeks. Also, um, coming up after the top of the hour as part of our three big things, um, it's a story that's getting a ton of attention. It's, it's a very 
troubling video to watch. So I'm going to give you advance warning on that. Um, There is a Minneapolis police officer who is being, well, challenged over his decision to shoot two dogs. This was caught on video. There was actually a surveillance video in the backyard where this happened. Um, we, we have a link to that, and if you want to see it, I'll describe it. I, I do. I want to give warnings because it's, especially if you're an animal lover, it is very, very difficult to watch. But there's some interesting larger issues that are being raised. If you want to see the video, we, you can simply text 414-799, text the word dogs, D-O-G-S, plural, dogs, to 414-799-1620, and, and we'll send you a link to the video. Again, I'm trying to, it's not necessarily PG-13, it's not, there's not sex or anything in it, but it's a very, it's a graphic video that candidly is hard to watch. It only, it only runs 58 seconds, so it's not like you're making a huge commitment of time, but if you want to see the video that we will be talking about, 414-799-1620, simply text the word dogs, and we will send you a link to that. Okay, right now we're talking about the big Big breaking story over the weekend. Donald Trump Jr. In June of 2016, shortly after his father had essentially wrapped up the Republican nomination, uh, there's an intermediary British tabloid publisher who brokers a meeting between Donald Trump Jr., the Trump campaign, and this Russian attorney. Now, in the email, it apparently says she's got damaging information about Hillary Clinton. And one of the email purportedly says, hey, and some of this information is coming from the Russian government. So they have the meeting. Nothing comes of it. Apparently, she doesn't have much, if anything. There's no activity. There's nothing done on this. Now this is coming to the public. Now, the other aspect of this story is that Donald Trump Jr., when he was filling out disclosure forms and answering questions about meetings with like Russian officials or Russians, never disclosed this. So now he ended up amending it. So he, he, he didn't disclose this up front, apparently, until it, they got the Trump uh, administration now got wind of the fact that the media had this. So even though nobody suggests that there was any information that came out of this particular meeting they didn't disclose the meeting in the first place okay how much trouble is donald trump in 414-799-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line let's uh let's just go to the text line just to kind of start off where we are this morning because this is getting a ton of attention let's see um the whole idea uh the whole idea behind this is that the simple notion that it's really the cover-up. I think that that's what the problem here is. I don't think you're seeing any evidence at all that the Trump campaign received information from the Russian government, then then they acted upon it. But again, the problem is not so much that he took the meeting. That that happens all the time. Uh, the problem is that they didn't disclose it. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jim in Wind Lake. Jim, you're first. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I was listening there. Uh, there's a lot of talk that everybody's having conversations and talking to each other. These people meet with people, uh, right. hundreds of people a day. And what is what is the law against collusion or talking to somebody? I don't understand where all this is going. But they talk about stuff. There's There's no evidence that they've done anything. Does the fact that does the fact that they didn't disclose this in the first place does that does that make it look like there was maybe perhaps more to it? 
Well, if it was unimportant, it was an inconsequential meeting. Why would you have to report it? I mean, you know, if you see your buddy down the block and say, good morning, Bob, how you doing? You go on and somebody asks the next day, you see Bob? Oh, I don't remember seeing Bob. You know, it's. Nothing. Yeah, but, but 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 okay, but this isn't but this isn't that you see Bob, your buddy from down the block. This is yeah. uh, you know a, a, at least if the, this email says, hey, there, there's this Russian lawyer who you know wants to have a meeting with you, and you know she wants to pass on information that the Russian government has received. Isn't that a little bit different? Maybe should red flags go off? No, it was had nothing to do with the Russian government. She was talking about that orphan that uh, right. Other plan. She had. She wasn't connected with the government at all. She was a lawyer there. Yeah, she was right. She wasn't a government official, but at least this no. email appears to say that she's passing on information that the government collected, even though there doesn't appear to have been anything like that. Well, there, there's the other portion. Who, who knows what was said at those meetings besides her? I mean, she is she telling the truth? Who's telling the truth? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, thanks. I mean, I don't. I don't think anybody. I, I mean, I was watching her interview this morning on Fox. I, I, I don't. I mean, she's not claiming that she passed on information. She's now claiming, well, that there, there was maybe a misunderstanding of the the information that she had to get the meeting in the first place. So I, I think we could all agree that there wasn't there wasn't any there wasn't any op- I'm going to call it opposition research. There wasn't any dirt that the Russian government had or that that this woman had that she gave to Donald Trump Jr. So the meeting, nothing came of the meeting. I guess to me the question becomes how much trouble is he in for accepting the meeting in the first place and then not disclosing until after the news media got it that the meeting uh, occurred. 414-799-1620, Lee in Waukesha. Lee, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Lee. Good morning. What do you think? Yes. Um, I, I think... Uh, if the meeting didn't mean anything, why would you take Kushner to the meeting and also um, his his other top cabinet pick? Mm-hmm. So that's that's I, I want to hear your uh, answer well, on well, that. Well, no, I think they I think they to be honest with you, I think they 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 hoped something would come of it. I mean, I think when I, look, I mean, I, I obviously when they got this solicitation, I'm think I'm sure they thought, boy, maybe this woman really has some dirt that's going to like blow this this election wide open. Because keep in mind, at the time, almost everybody thought that you know Hillary Clinton was going to slaughter Donald Trump, you know, in the election. So I'm sure they, I, I have no doubt that they went into this hoping that there would be something that came out of it. It just doesn't sound like there was. Okay, I mean, thanks. I mean, I guess, and that that that's the. I, I mean, I. There's nothing that came out of the meeting, but they were. I mean, I think trying to hope that this this occurred. Steve in Brookfield. Steve, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Yeah, hi Jeff. Hi Steve. Um, yeah, I, I may be a little um, a little loose with the with the precision of this uh, comment, uh, but it comes from uh, net cable uh, television this morning, National Network. I don't know if it was CNN or or, C- or MSNBC, but there was a panel of of uh, of people talking about this issue and one of the panelists was a washington attorney who apparently his his uh, area of expertise is elections and fraud and tampering mm-hmm. and so forth and his contention is that or his statement was that um as you suggest these kinds of meetings happen all the time to to get information sure. and gather dirt and that's not a big deal except when the information is being offered by a foreign national that is election uh, uh, tampering, and whether or not information actually uh, t- exchanged hands or not, this, the mere solicitation or uh, um, effort to acquire it from a foreign source is actually a felony. 
So uh, right. I don't have no way of verifying that, but that was his his statement. Right, and, 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 and see, uh, and that's what I and that's what the key is going to be, and that's why that that's why the, this this latest story, the follow up story in the New York Times about how the meeting was set up. Um, I mean, just because it's a Russian lawyer, for example, I, I don't think it necessarily. I, I think it would be a tough stretch to try to turn that into a felony prosecution. If, like you say, though, you went into it with the idea that this is information certainly coming from the Russian government, uh, you know, it's a different dynamic. How much trouble do you think he's going to be in at the end of the day? Um, you know, that's a great question. <laughs> I, I, he's obviously going to get grilled uh, to uh, to a great extent, and I suspect the amount of trouble he ends up in will have much to do with how open and uh, and upfront he is with his testimony. So, right. Yeah, and see, and the pro- and the, yeah, and the problem to me, Steve, is is again, it's it's one of the optics, the, the optics of the fact that this wasn't disclosed earlier. You know, then they had to amend the disclosure statement like a week ago, and because there's going to be a lot of people, and I'm getting a lot of texts from folks who are saying, look, if they had nothing to hide, why didn't they why didn't they make this information available upfront? Obviously, they were trying to hide it. Now, I don't know if that's the case or not, but I, I suspect Donald Trump Jr. is going to be in a in a very, he's going to be on the hot seat for a few weeks. I think, if nothing yeah, else, I I totally agree. It's it if if they weren't trying to hide it, they certainly have done everything to give the perception that they are. Right. And uh, and at this at this stage, with as much information or as little as we have, perception is pretty much everything. Yeah. Thanks. And that, and that's and again, here, here's the thing. And, and again, the reports are Donald Trump president very upset with this because again it's a distraction see this is what is so frustrating to me and i've been saying this before i care about the real issues in this country i mean i i care about you know what are we going to do with health care what are we going to be do with tax reform what about national security how are we dealing with terrorism and things like that and as i said at the start of this segment i i believe Obviously, if, if the Russians were trying to hack into our election systems, that's something that you need to figure out. I don't believe Vladimir Putin denying that, oh, we were trying to influence elections. Clearly, that was going on. But that in and of itself, okay, that's not one of the most significant issues of the day, except except to the extent that you've got the Trump campaign and the allegations that they might have been colluding with the Russians. This is just another one of those things that is a distraction that takes us away from what we should be talking about. Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes, um, if you want to text the word, if you want to see the video, text the word DOGS to 414-799-1620. It's a 58-second video. It's kind of difficult to watch. It's a Minneapolis police officer who shot a pair of dogs, and his decision is being second-guessed. We will discuss. It is 858. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 909. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're right in the middle of our three big things. This is a story that is getting national attention because of a video that has gone viral. Um, It is the lead story in most of the Minneapolis newspapers. It involves a police officer who shot two dogs. He did not kill either one of the dogs. But here's what happened. Saturday night, um family is on vacation matter of fact they're they're camping in wisconsin and they have a friend caring for these two dogs they're um terriers but they are a breed of of pit bull they're stratfordshire terriers um it's accepted as one of the various uh pit bull breeds so the, the dogs are at home there's a friend that's caring for them while the family is camping what happens is about 9:15 in the evening and by the way if you want to see the video it's about 58 seconds long um you can text the word dogs to 
20. And it, it's kind of a painful video to watch. So I want to give you a little bit of warning in advance. But anyhow, so this family is out camping. They've got a friend who's, who's watching the dogs. What happens is about 9.15 on Saturday night, um, the 18-year-old daughter in the family and her 13-year-old sister, they come home earlier from the camping trip. So they come home themselves without the mom and dad and the rest of the family because the 18-year-old had to work early Sunday morning. So they come back on Saturday night. Um, They come home about 9 o'clock, and as they're going into the house, they accidentally set off the security alarm. Can I see a show of hands? I mean, how many times has that happened? So they set off the security alarm. Um, they immediately call the security company, and they say, okay, the, the alarm the alarm went off. It's no problem. And the security company immediately then deactivates it, all right? Well, in the interim, though, the police have been notified. So two officers show up. Neither one of them goes to the front door. Nobody knocks to see what's going on. One of the officers um, kind of locates himself in the front of the house, and a second police officer climbs over the fence to get into this fenced-off backyard in, in the house. So nobody's knocked on the door or anything, but they're reporting, they're investigating this burglar alarm. So nobody goes to the front door. One officer just, just scales this fence. All right, well, there are these two two pit bulls, um, Stratfordshire Terriers, which are in the backyard. Now, the police report that was generated from this, the officer says, hey, I got into the backyard, and I was immediately, um, let me see, I want to get it exactly right, while staging at the rear, that means after I climbed over the fence, um, two large-sized pit bulls charged at me, the officer dispatched the two dogs, causing them to run back into the residence. So in other words, the officer's story is he, he staged at the rear. He climbed over the fence, and um, two large-sized pit bulls charged at him. The officer shot at the dogs, causing them to run back into the residence. Okay, So that, that's the officer's story. What the officer apparently did not know is that there was a surveillance camera in, in the backyard, that captures this encounter. And that's, again, what you can see if you text us the word dogs, 414-799-1620. What the video appears to show, you got the officer, the officer kind of comes into the picture, and you see um, the officer in the backyard, he walks forward, and then the video shows, you know, one of the, the dogs not charging him, but apparently sort of trotting towards him. Its tail is wagging. Um, the officer starts to, the officer has his gun drawn. The video shows the officer, the dog, trotting towards him. Um, its tail is wagging. <laughs> and, and then it, it sort of stops, and then it kind of starts walking towards him again, at which point in time the officer shoots the dog. <laughs> Um, then the animal goes down for a moment, then runs away. Then you see another dog that starts bounding after him at the officer after the officer has shot the first dog, and he fires and he shoots the second dog, and the other dog ends up running away. The, the point is, on the video, it's certainly not the dog charging at the officer. Rather, it's like the, the dog kind of walking up with its tail wagging, and the officer fires. All right, this has now generated a huge controversy. Contrary to the initial police report where 
they they say the officer you know was being charged at by the dog. You know, the new statement after the video was released, now the police department is saying, well, um, we're going to be, you know, investigating this and the posting any discharge of an officer's firearm prompts an internal investigation. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I, I would be the last one to tell you that, obviously, when, when you are in law enforcement and you are dealing with potentially dangerous animals – Obviously, better safe than sorry. And, you know, if you're kicking in the door on a drug house and you've got pit bulls that are charging at you, yes, you, you have to dispatch those animals. You, you don't need to be mauled. Now, in this particular situation, you, you have the animals who are in their own backyard. The officer climbs over the fence, comes into the backyard. You do, apparently by the video, you have the dog not charging the officer, but kind of walking towards him. I mean, here, here, here is the truth. Now, I don't have Stratfordshire Terriers, but I have a little Pomeranian. You come into my house, and she's going to trot up to you. <laughs> that, that's what she's going to do. She's going to investigate the new person that's there. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Was this a trigger-happy police officer who overreacted to the situation, um, or was this, hey, you know, the, the, the dogs, and again, this is, these aren't dogs that were running the street. These aren't dogs that were attacking people. These were dogs that were in their own backyard, and it's the police officer that comes into it. All right, does the Minneapolis police force has something, do they have some explaining to do, or do you understand why the officer shot? 414-799-1620. I have a strong take on this, and I will share that with you in just a minute. But what do you think? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 916. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 918. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is Roger Waters. Um, but sometime between now and noon, we'll be going to give away a pair of tickets to see Roger Waters at the BMO Harris Bradley Center. Um, it's at the end of the month. It's um, July 29th. So we'll be giving away a pair of tickets today and every day this week. So keep listening. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, I. I get accused of being pro-police officer, and I think I, I, I am. I mean, I appreciate how difficult it is, but you know what? This officer, in my opinion, was completely and totally in the wrong, and the police report that was initially issued was false. This, you know, you ha- this is an unfortunate circumstance. Burglar alarm goes off. The kids come home early. They set it off. All right, they call the alarm company. It gets canceled. The cops don't know that, so they show up. One positions himself in the front. Another police officer climbs a fence into the backyard. There are these two dogs in the backyard. Well, okay, you know, imagine if you've got a pet, and all of a sudden somebody has climbed over the fence and is in the backyard. All right, the, the dogs are going to react. Now, the story that the police originally told was the dogs charged at the man, the officer. Uh, okay, you see the video. They're, they're, they're not charging. What happens is a dog... He kind of trots up. The tail is wagging. He, he turns sideways and then starts, again, coming towards the, the officer. But the tail, when their tail is wagging, that tells you they're checking things out. And for this officer to have pulled his gun and shot, I think, is appalling. Um, um, Emma in Heartland writes, Jeff, I just watched the video. Anyone who has a dog knows that the dog approaching him was a welcome call. This wasn't charging. It was a greeting. Their tails were wagging. 414-799-1620. Cassandra in McGuana goes, Cassandra, good morning. Hey there. Uh, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Okay, did the officer overreact? 
Totally. Um, I ran a dog rescue for two years. I was on the board of the directors. Um, my dad was a law enforcement officer before he retired. I really think that they need to have some sort of in-services so they can learn body language of dogs because this happens quite a bit in, uh, like, Milwaukee. It happened. It's, it's simple. They should be able to distinguish a, a tail wagging and a happy dog versus... <laughs> You know, and angry, I'm coming after you. Well, well right. It's so, not hard. Right. And, and so, look, I, I'm not a fan of pit bulls. I've gotten criticized a lot for because I, I take that position. And so when I hear this report, okay, the dog is charging at the officer. I understand it. You're being charged at. You know, you have every right to defend yourself. You don't have to allow yourself to be mauled by a pit bull. But I'm watching this video. That ain't what happened here. This dog isn't charging. The dog is kind of like trotting up, wagging its tail because somebody has walked into the backyard. That's what happened exactly. here. Yeah. That, that was a happy dog. I'm a pit bull owner. That's a happy dog. Yeah. I, I'm, you, you can't react towards that. Well, right. I mean, I guess the question, and again, a lot of times we blame owners, but in this situation, the, the dogs were under control. They were in a in a fenced-off backyard. The dogs are just out there. They're doing nothing. And, I mean, again, I appreciate the police officer's doing his job. He stops over to investigate, you know, the burglar alarm. But but you would think that you, you just can't shoot first without processing at all what is going on here. Exactly. No, thanks for calling. Again, no, I mean, it's just that that's what's kind of troubling to me. Okay, uh, Lori writes, Jeff, I have a two-year-old Australian cattle dog that I adopted from a local shelter. He's had a rough start to life, and now he's very shy around people. When a stranger walks into the house, um, he barks. I live in a condo-style complex, and the story really scares me. What if I'm gone and the police or fire department needs to get into my apartment? Are they going to kill my dog for barking? It's, It's, you know, his... His house. Um, well, yeah, that's kind of that's sort of the concern about this. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's see. Uh, Mike says the officer had no right to climb the fence. I think he should be charged with animal cruelty. Well, the officer he's in, he's he's investigating the, the reports. Betty in Waukesha. Betty, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Betty. You and I have had this discussion before in the past about pit bulls, but I have to agree with you. Boy, if that were my dog. Oh, and first of all, I'll tell you, West Dexter Terriers, and they're interchangeable. It's the same thing. Right. If you, if you ever watch Judge Judy, people will come on and say, I have a West Dexter Terrier, because they think that they, she won't know it's pitbull. <laughs> right. <laughs> they do it all the time. Right. But, uh, boy, Jeff, I, I'll tell you, it's a couple weeks for me right now, and it's hard to talk about because my, my dog is very old now. But I'll tell you, it, I had a tear in my eye listening to that story. Mm-hmm. That was Really, oh, I'd be upset if that were my dog. Well, right, and again, I I understand that. I mean, I don't care whether it's a pit bull or a lab or whatever. If you've got a dog that's charging someone and is, you know, you, you don't have to sit around. The police officer in this case does not have to allow himself to be mauled. But I watched this video. This dog wasn't charging the officer. The dog was kind of trotting up. Its tail is wagging because somebody has come into the lawn, and the police officer retreats, pulls out his gun, and shoots the dog in the face. I mean, jeez. Yeah, as soon as I get home, I'm going to watch the video. Maybe I should yeah. No, no, no. Well, I mean, and again, it's a, it's only 58 seconds and it's very difficult to watch. But I mean, it's what's interesting to me is the way the police report comes out at first. Is it says, OK, the officer was charged by the, the pit bull. Oh, you hear that. And you say, OK, the officer's charged by a pit bull. Of course, you know, if a pit bull is charging at you, you have every right to defend yourself. But then you look at the video 
And you know, when when you see it, Betty, maybe maybe you'll see the officer being charged. But I, it's not exactly a, a dog trotting up with its tail wagging is not exactly what I would consider somebody being charged and put into a, a life threatening situation. Yeah, you and I are usually on the same page, so I, I seriously doubt if I'm going to find anything different with that. But anyway, have a good day. Jeff. Thanks. Sir. Take care. I appreciate it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Mike in Montello. Mike, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. What do you think? Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm old enough to be your dad, and back in the early 50s, I trained and handled sentry dogs while I was in air police in the Air Force. And I'm a dog lover. I rescued a German Shepherd mix in November. She came to me with heartworm. I think she's recovering. I love dogs, but I'll tell you what, wagging tail don't mean dog is friendly. Yeah. Our sentry dogs, to go after somebody and get some meat, that was their fun. And uh, their tail was wagging all the way. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess here, here's my question, though, Mike. Is, is that is that then open season on dogs? So let, let's say you have a police officer who comes into you know, somebody's backyard. They're, they're doing an investigation or whatever. You know, a dog kind of trots at them. Is that then justification to shoot every dog? Because, hey, the dog's wagging its tail. That means maybe the dog's going to attack. Or do you have to kind of wait till they do something? I see if the dog was growling and bearing its I, teeth and looked aggressive. Uh, otherwise... It's hard to say. I wasn't in the officer's right. position. Well, and, I, and it, thanks for the call, Mike. And I, I get it. I mean, obviously, right, if if the tail is wagging but the dog is growling and it's baring its teeth and it's charging at the officer, right, then, then okay, the, the tail wagging, maybe the tail is just wagging because, hey, the, the dog thinks it's going to eat. I, if you look at the video, that's not what happened. I, I, don't, I don't believe that's what happened. And more importantly, I, I think – the officer probably didn't real to believe that was what was happened because the police report afterwards says charging. I don't think the officer knew there was a surveillance video. And if there wasn't a surveillance video in that backyard, you would have had a different story. Now, again, I appreciate how difficult it is to be a police officer. Um, here we have one of the texts. Even though the video shows the dogs didn't immediately threaten the officer, he was already on guard for threats from potential burglars and with adrenaline flowing, got surprised by the dogs of a breed of concern to many. He may have made a mistake, but his training mistakes uh, training makes him focus on neutralizing threats, and it's always easy to watch a video in retrospect. Yeah, I, I, I understand all that. Now, I'm, that's why I'm not saying the officer should be fired, but I do think, and this is coming from the perspective of an animal owner, I, I do think at the very least there needs to be additional training that goes on because it, it just can't be open season on pets. Officer walks into a backyard, and just because you, you see someone's pet that goes trotting up, that, that's not open season to pull out your gun and start shooting. Now, in this particular case, neither dog was killed. Both dogs were hit, but neither dog was killed. And now there's, I, I think, the police department recognizing that it is in the wrong. I think they're going to come up with the money, and they're going to pay the dog's veterinary bills. And, I, again, I understand how tough it is to be a police officer, but you, you watch this video, and at least in my opinion, you, you have a police officer who overreacted. Equally as troubling in today's day and age is that the claims in the initial police report don't appear to be accurate. And that is troubling as well because in an era where you have as much distrust of the police as there is, you, you simply give ammunition. Now, I understand this isn't a citizen encounter. This is an encounter with an animal. But you say something happened and the video appears to show it didn't. That, again, calls your credibility into issue. And once again, if you want to see the video, you can text us the word DOGS, 414-799-1620. This is a controversy not going away. We've also got some links up there to the various stories about it. It's 927. This is Jeff Wagner. 
35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Roger Waters brings his us and them tour to the BMO Harris Bradley Center on Saturday, July 29th. We're giving you a chance to win a pair of tickets. Matter of fact, we just gave away our first pair of tickets. Uh, Steve in Glendale was our winner today. All this week and next, be listening to my show between 8.30 and noon. And you could be enjoying the music of Roger Waters featuring songs from Pink Floyd. Uh, again, that's our offer on WT620 WTMJ. Steve from Glendale is our winner today. But more tickets to give away as the week rolls on. Gee, somebody should ask Ed Flynn, the Milwaukee police chief, was this a concealed carry situation? A couple weeks ago, Police Chief Ed Flynn makes a stunningly stupid statement. There's just no other way to describe it. Talking about the outrage of gun violence in the Milwaukee community, and he says, well, it, it's concealed carry. That's what's causing this. It's irresponsible politicians. And when, when challenged, Flynn, well, I, I can't release that information. But the suggestion that, okay, it's concealed carry holders who are involved in all the armed crime that's going on, no evidence at all, and and anybody really with an IQ over plant life knows that that that's just not the case. Flynn's apparently well. We we have people who are again. I think one of his premises is getting a concealed carry permit and then traveling around with gang bangers and giving them the gun when they want to commit crimes. It's just it's ridiculous. He knows it's ridiculous, but it's the politically expedient thing to do as opposed to. You know, focusing on some of the more difficult issues, which is, all right, the, the appalling way that we treat gun violence and the lack of criminal sentences and things like that. Okay, here's the latest story. Two shootings on Milwaukee's north side occur five minutes apart. Two shootings took place Monday afternoon on Milwaukee's north side, about five minutes apart and 1.6 miles from each other. The first shooting took place in the 4300 block of West Fond du Lac Avenue, in which a 20-year-old woman was wounded around 2.55 p.m. Um, dot, 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 dot. The, wound, the woman went uh, to the dis- District 7 and reported the incident and was taken to the hospital. The second shooting occurred in the 2500 block of North 36th Street, in which a 28-year-old man was shot around 3 p.m. The man was driven by a family member to a hospital to be treated for a non-life-threatening injury. Police don't believe that the incidents are related. They are investigating or seeking suspects. Here's my guess. You know, once again, Chief Flynn... Are- uh, were this concealed carry holders that were involved in the, these shootings? Come on. Come on, Ed. I mean, just start being honest with the general public and get off this sort of political thing that you're on trying to scapegoat, in this case, concealed carry permit holders for the out-of-control violence in the city of Milwaukee. But, you know... <laughs> Every day when you have a story about one shooting or another, you just go back to what the chief was talking about. And, and I guess the only reason it's really a big deal is if, if the chief really believes that the reason you've got this out-of-control gun violence in the city of Milwaukee is because of people with concealed carry permits, it, it shows that the chief is at best incredibly out of touch and at worst completely and totally delusional. Uh, again, two more shootings. My guess is neither one of these is going to be traced to someone with a concealed carry permit. Just saying. Okay, big story number three. Paul Ryan says, okay, no more open town halls. Ever since Donald Trump was elected president, the left has been energized. And in particular, the hate left has been 
energized. So what happens is these Republican congressmen or Republican senators come home on breaks. They have these, these town hall meetings where people you know show up and they ask questions. Jim Sensenbrenner, the con- local congressman, Sensenbrenner, who is, and I say this with affection, Jim Sensenbrenner is a curmudgeon in, in every sense of the word. Sensenbrenner loves the, the give and take. So he has these town hall meetings which quickly degenerate into shouting matches. He ends up playing referee, but he, he kind of enjoys, he sort of enjoys that. Um, others, others don't enjoy it as much. And the truth is, there's not a lot that comes out of these town hall meetings because what's been happening is you, you've got the hate left that shows up and they're carrying their signs or whatever. They're, they're not there to have a dialogue with the politicians in general. They're there to try to express and shout down other people and get their faces on TV. Now, what's been happening with a lot of congressmen, including Paul Ryan in particular, because he's the Speaker of the House of Representatives, is that it's not even just people in his district. What would happen is you would have, just like in Act 10, you know, the, a lot of the protesters weren't even from Wisconsin. You know, a lot of the more violent protesters and out-of-control prose- uh, protesters, for example, during Act 10, Act 10 well, were the AstroTurf. It, it's not grassroots activists. It's people that are being bussed in from out of state with the idea that we're going to create a disruption. Same thing's been true of a lot of these town halls, particularly with guys like Paul Ryan, because what happens is the folks who show up, some are from the district, but many aren't. It's like, okay, the Speaker of the House, here, we're, we're going to show up and we're going to try to be disruptive and we're going to try to, uh, again, get our face on, on TV. And I, I understand TV, it, it makes for good pictures. You know, you have this town hall meeting and you have a bunch of people screaming or holding up signs. And especially if you are on television and you're a television producer, you're not aligned with the, the Republicans, it, it makes for, you know, great theatrics. So, so Paul Ryan says, look, he says, I, I'm just done. He said, we're not, at least for the foreseeable future, going to be having these in-person town halls. He said, look, concerns, I have concerns with disruptive protesters being bussed in from outside the district. So um, I, I don't want to have a situation where we're just into a screaming fest, a shouting fest, where people are being bussed in to get on TV because they're yelling at someone. He said, that doesn't do any good. He said, what I want to do is I want to have conversations with my constituents so what they're doing is they're doing telephone town halls where you know you you can log on to a conference call they're also doing um, essentially meetings at various uh, places that that are closed off to the, the general public like they'll show up at you know audiences they'll have you know meetings at companies that he is visiting so you don't have you know, the angry folks from wherever being bussed in to be disruptive. You you know, you've got the employees at the particular, you know, plant or wherever he's visiting. And so that, that's his idea. Now, he's getting all sorts of heat for that. Oh, you're hiding from the general public. And, and Ryan is simply saying, I'm not hiding from anybody. What I'm trying to do is, again, get into a situation where I want to have a dialogue. But, but yeah, there, there's no sense in me going to a meeting where you're going to have a half dozen of the usual suspects who are going to yell and scream about, oh, my God. Gosh, you're going to, you know, you're killing all these people because you want to, you know, change Obamacare. 414-799-1620. This is big story number three. Ryan and other politicians pulling back on these town halls in favor of doing other things. I don't have a problem with this. I, I, I just I just don't. Setting yourself up, if you are a politician, setting yourself up to be a prop for angry 
in this case, Trump haters or Republican haters who come with their signs and decide that they want to scream just so they can get themselves on TV, that does nothing to add to the discourse. And candidly, you know, if I were a politician being faced with that type of stuff, I'd be doing exactly what Paul Ryan is. I'd be looking for other alternatives. I continue to want to cut to discuss with my constituents issues. But, you know, first I want to do it with my constituents. And secondly, I don't want this to turn into some organized shouting fest. And what we have seen time and time again is a lot of the anti-Trump left, the, the haters, that they don't want a dialogue. They want to scream. And if I'm the politician, I, I don't know that the town hall is the place to be screamed at. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't fault Ryan one minute for saying we're going to do other things to try to communicate with constituents. And by the way, um, for those constituents, if they don't like what Paul Ryan's doing, well, you can always vote him out. Not going to happen, but you can do it. Um, 414-799-1620. Any problem with Ryan's decision to scale back town halls? I don't have one. It's 944. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. And after that, David Letterman, of all people, weighing in on politics. I'll tell you what Letterman had to say, what he had to say, and we will discuss. Stick around. It's 944. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One local union leader is upset about the transportation budget and what it could mean for everyone who uses state roads. Don't miss his comments with John McCure on Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 520 today. Yeah, that that budget impasse not moving on. And it's just, it, it is frustrating. They should have had a budget 10 days ago. You would understand it if you had a split between Democrats and Republicans. This is a Republican controlled government. And the fact that the assembly continues to try to push uh, tax increases, which is just an absolute and total non-starter. And by the way, it it is an electoral disaster in the making as well, continues to be mind-boggling. And I guess I'm afraid this is going to continue until rank-and-file Republicans recognize that their leadership, at least in this election cycle, are trying to walk them over a cliff and rebels and says, hey, either get on board or we're going to replace leadership because there's nothing there's nothing that says that you just have to, again, be a lemming and follow your leaders over a cliff. And look, and if Republican legislators decide that they want to run for reelection two years from now on an agenda of tax increases, well, OK, fine. I mean, do that. And then we'll see how that works out, and we'll see whether those people who want to increase taxes running in Republican primaries get challengers. But right now, the state budget is a mess. I understand we're not in a situation where we're on the verge of going bankrupt, but the fact that you've got Republicans who control the governorship, control the Senate, control the Assembly, can't get a budget done because you have Republicans' leadership in the Assembly who want to raise our taxes – is just, again, absolutely beyond me. And so, I mean, McCure's talking to some union leader. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, the unions, again, they, they want tax increases. They want more spending um, because, it, again, the road builders, very, very powerful lobby. That benefits, I mean, the road builders, if we've got all sorts of tax money that's going to that. But that tax money has to come from somewhere, anywhere. Check out Wisconsin's Afternoon News. I, I just, I, I'm looking at all this this attention and this negative attention that you know Paul Ryan is getting for simply saying, hey, I'm not going to do these traditional town halls because we end up getting mobbed 
with people, many times it's not my constituents. It's people who are bussed in from all over, and they don't want to discuss issues. They don't want to hear about the problems that exist with Obamacare. All they want to do is they want to yell and scream, and they want to wave signs, and they want to get themselves on TV. And, of course, TV obliges. So um, Ryan's saying, hey, I'm not going to give people this particular photo opportunity. I have no problem at all with that. And candidly, again, I understand congressmen like Jim Sensenbrenner, who, and I say curmudgeon in the nicest way possible, who in kind of enjoys that give or take and, and doesn't mind being shouted at and doesn't mind, you know, when sometimes these things degenerate into this, the shouting matches that they are. And that's fine. If, if that's if that's what Sensenbrenner enjoys, that's great. He should continue doing the town halls. But at the same time, if you're somebody who says, look, I'm, I'm kind of too busy just to low, go out here and get these AstroTurf people to come out and express their hatred, I don't have a problem with that at all, to each their own. And by the way, if Ryan's constituents don't like the fact that he's not having these town halls where, again, lefties could get busted in and yell at him, fine, they're going to have a chance to vote him out in two years. There's candidates running against him. None of them stand a cho- snowball's chance and you know where beating him. But but they, they do, of course, have that option. That's why um, that's why elections matter. All right. Coming up next, David Letterman back in the news. I'll tell you what he had to say and we'll discuss. It's nine fifty two. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 9.55, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. Okay, Hondo, who's produced the show today and always. Were you a David Letterman fan? You, you watched him more than Lano. Yeah, I, I actually, um, I thought I thought Letterman, back in the early days, um, you know, when he, when he did the, the show on NBC before he went to CBS, I, I thought Letterman was kind of a breath of fresh air. And then as time went on, I thought he just got to be an old crank. <laughs> it's kind of what it I mean, and that that's I, I just and I understand I everybody said he was so cutting edge and for a while he was beating Jay Leno when they had the big late night wars and then Jay Leno started winning and continued to win. But I, I, I just for some reason Letterman to me went from being kind of hip and edgy to just kind of again a crank. <laughs> so that but you know, he so he ended up retiring a couple of years ago. And if if you see the pictures of Letterman, um he's really kind of gone to seed i mean he's and, and again i don't i don't know you retire you don't have to be on tv anymore so he's got this big kind of white santa claus beard you know and you you, you see him and it's almost unrecognizable but that, that's okay i mean he's got all sorts of money so yeah maybe that's the way you want to go well anyhow he's giving an interview with the associated press talking about donald trump and and he says all right people need to stop whining about president trump which, okay, I think a lot of us might agree. But then he says, instead, we have to figure out a way to remove him from office. Letterman says he's tired of people daily, nightly, and on all cable news shows telling us that there's something wrong. Now, at this point in time, I think maybe there's many people are saying, yeah, we're just we're just sick of this. Okay, the guy got elected. Just let him do his thing, and then, you know, we, we're going to have elections. But that's not where Letterman is going with this. Letterman says... I think we ought to direct our resources and our energies to doing something about it. If Trump was running a Dairy Queen, he'd be gone. The guy couldn't work at the Gap. So why do we have to be victimized by his fecklessness, his ignorance? 
Um, according to Letterman, Trump's behavior is insulting to the country, but it's just the behave, but it's just that the behavior is insulting to Americans, whether you voted for him or not. And I feel bad for people who did vote for him because he promised them things that they really needed, and one wonders if he's really going to come through. I know there's trouble in this country, and we need a guy who can fix that trouble. I wish it was Trump, but it's not. So let's just stop whining about what a goon he is and figure out a way to take him aside and put him in a home. All right, David Letterman, weighing in on on politics. I'm with Letterman to an extent. I I think the the relentless Trump bashing just kind of gets old. And I I do understand that you turn turn on some of these channels, and that's the way they're attracting ratings. Let's appeal to the anti-Trump left, and people will watch this, and they'll froth at the mouth. And I also appreciate that, you know, Donald Trump gives people, you know, ammunition by, again, sending out these tweets or things like that. But at the same time, at the same time, you know, really? Now, here you have David Letterman, of all people, talking about if Trump was running a Dairy Queen, he'd be gone. The guy couldn't work at the Gap. Well, um, I mean, like Trump or not, the truth is he's an incredibly successful businessman, and that is the appeal. And this idea that I, I think we just you know, need to take him aside and put him in a home, and I feel bad for people who voted for him. Well, all right. Elections do, in fact, matter, and people did, in fact, vote for him. So I think Letterman is correct to the extent that he's tired of the obsession that a lot of the cable channels have on a daily basis with with the president. At the same time, this idea that, okay, we we just need to move on and we need to figure out a way to get him out. Well, okay, the president isn't going anywhere. That's just the reality. So, you know, maybe we can just all figure out a way to kind of move on because Donald Trump's not – Again, I don't know that he's going to run for re-election. He's not going to be impeached within the next two years. I doubt he's going to be impeached, period. So you need to kind of, well, move on and figure out where we go from there. Coming up in just a couple minutes, if you buy a house by an airport, you probably shouldn't complain about the noise. If you buy a house near a sewage plant, should you complain about the smell? We discuss. It's 959. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 908-908-1008. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, let us review the bidding. As somebody who has lived here most of, of my life, um, I there's always been, there has always been Jones Island, which is sort of, you know, um, a little bit south of downtown. Um, it, it's, it's at kind of the, the south end of the, the Milwaukee Harbor. And it is a sewage treatment facility. The sewage treatment facility has been there since the 1920s. In addition to treating sewage, and here, here's the bottom line, when you know you have a community, the sewage has to go somewhere and it has to be treated. In addition to treating sewage, they also produce malorganite, which is fertilizer made out of, of the sewage. So, all right, there is, you've got the sewage that's coming in, and there is a thing about sewage that it, it has odors. Now, if you buy a home near the airports, there there's going to be noise from planes. I mean, I've told this story before. Um, my late wife, her her father and mother, my father and mother in law, they had a they had a house that was um, right on the border of uh, the, the city of Milwaukee and St. Francis, and it was right 
it was, ah, I, I want to say it was maybe seven or eight blocks from the airport, and it was a very, very nice home, but it was, depending on which way the wind was blowing, it was right in the flight path. And so you would go over there on a Sunday afternoon, and you'd sit out in the backyard during the summer. Again, depending on, on what the particular flight pattern was, you'd be sitting there, and you'd be having a conversation. Then all of a sudden, there would be this plane that would be coming in. And the plane would be actually low enough that you'd look up, and you could see all the markings on the plane and stuff, and you'd have to talk very, very loudly. They got used to it because they lived kind of in this flight path, and they lived close to the airport. It was just something that... That came with the territory. If you buy a house, I had another friend purchase the house with train tracks in the backyard. I mean, that the train tracks literally, her property ended, and then there was the train. Well, all right, the, the trains don't come through as often as they used to, but when the trains come through, you know the trains come through. You can you can hear them. Now, I personally wouldn't want a house you know, that backed up on railroad tracks for a whole variety of reasons. But but this was that. And there was no question when my friend purchased the house. Matter of fact, it was something I remember talking to her about with her. And she said, hey, I'm getting a really good deal on this. I really like the house. And, yes, I understand that there's the railroad tracks, and I understand why some people wouldn't like it. And I understand that it might make it a little bit more difficult for me to sell the house. But, nevertheless, I'm getting a good deal. I like it. I'm going to go ahead and buy it. She's been very happy with, with that house. But if you buy a house that backs up on railroad tracks, it seems to me that you can't complain when the train goes by. If you buy a house a couple blocks from an airport, you can't complain that you're going to be in the flight path and it might be kind of loud. So that brings us to the story about you know, Jones Island, which, again, the sewage treatment plant has been there since the 1920s. And Honestly, if you go down into that area, depending on which way the wind is blowing and what the temperature is, a a whole lot of times that you will notice there is a particular distinctive and not necessarily pleasant smell. And, And this hasn't been a surprise, but apparently it is now becoming a shock to a number of people who have purchased homes or started living in the Walker's Point area over the course of the last few years. Uh, Channel 4 had this story, and it's a follow-up to something that's been going on for about a month or so. Here's the way they report it. Some Walker's Point residents are demanding a change to the smell in their neighborhood. According to one group, it is coming from the Milwaukee Metropolitan Sewage District. Um, you know, no, no kidding. Um, MSD says, well, we're not always responsible. Um, you know, people in Walker's part says, well, it smells a lot like sewage. It's pungent, a cross between sewage and general waste. People living as far away as South Milwaukee occasionally know the odors. At certain times, you can smell it down here, well, says one South Milwaukee resident. Well, yeah, because my guess is if the wind is blowing in a certain direction, that's what, what happened. Um, so you've got a group in Walker's Point who are now starting to complain about this. Now, for their part, MMSD says, well, we really you know, don't get a lot of complaints. But the truth is, you know, if we were to try to do stuff to stop even the occasional smell, it would cost you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of, of, of upwards of $19 million annually to try to stop it. And, you know, we're not even sure then that we could be able to, you know, do this. So now these residents are thinking about, you know, putting together a, a petition to complain about this. Right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I sympathize 
to some of the people who've bought homes in the Walker's Point area over the last couple of years who, when the wind blows a certain way and the temperature gets to a certain level, are now noticing that they are getting some of the aromatic smells from the sewage treatment plant. Right? I, I understand all that. But can you really complain about this? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if the idea is we, we've got to take $20 million and try to spend it every year in doing whatever we can to make it smell a little bit better, well, the, the truth is, again, if, if you're living next to the city dump, if you're living next to the city dump, when the wind blows a certain way, you're going to get the, those odors. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, would I want to live next door to the sewage treatment facility? Uh, no, no. I, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't. But, but at the same time, I also appreciate that there are people who want to do it. I think, as part of the free market, candidly, my guess is you could probably because that to me would be something that I, I wouldn't want to live by. That means that you can probably get a better deal on some of the housing. Maybe you can get some more house. Maybe you can get some more whatever because. Uh, again, it's one of these things that's a detriment. But really, you're going to whine about the smell? Come on. Let's start with Rick in Bayview. Rick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Greg, good morning. Good morning. So I've been living in Bayview since the 60s, uh, 62, bounced back and forth between there and St. Francis. And honestly, that's, that, that's, that's part of that area on those hot, muggy days. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're always going to get that. Um, knew it was there. Um, you know, um, just move on, and, and, yeah. and, you know, at least it's not every day, you know. It's, right. It's, it's on them hot days. Right. It, it, well, exactly. It's and, and when the wind is blowing in a particular direction. But I guess the big point, Rick, is when you when you bought your home or living in that area, you realize that that's something that you're going to have to, you were going to have to deal with from time to time. Right. Exactly. It was my parents' home, so they knew it, and uh, we just deal with it. And, uh, you know, and uh, on another note, the also the uh, the uh, north uh, the north south runway yeah. above us. So now we've got that also. So, hey, yeah, live with it. Well, well, right, and right, and, and thanks for saying. Again, I I it seems seems to me that that's kind of the attitude that you take. It's and I can come up with all sorts of analogies. You buy. I, it's always kind of amused me that people buy homes across the street from shopping centers and then complain that they get busier. And the argument that, well, okay, well, when we bought it, it was only like 40 stores, and now they've expanded it to 60 stores, and it's busier. I, I'm sorry, that just doesn't cut any, that doesn't carry water for me. You buy next to a shopping center. You buy next to an airport. I don't think you can always just assume that, gee, the airport's not going to grow. The shopping center's not going to grow. It, it's different if you've been living in the middle of a residential area, for example, and all of a sudden the, the whoever runs the community decides, we want to carve out some stuff in the middle of that residential area, and we want to put in a Walmart superstore. Okay, well, that might be a different sort of beef. But if the shopping center or the airport or the sewage treatment facility is there beforehand, I mean, I don't know. How can you really complain? Let's talk to Steve in De Pere. Steve, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I don't see where people have a right to complain. I've worked in the pulp and paper <laughs> industry for close to 40 years right. in the environmental field, and I can't tell you the number of hundreds of odor complaints that we'd respond to. And in my mind, if the mill's there and you decide to, to buy a house across from it, you know what you're getting into. And it's, to me, 
as long as the facility is complying with the environmental rules and are not causing a health hazard from the emissions, it's just a matter of aesthetics. Well, well, know, well, exactly. Because the, the, the truth is, there's only we well, you know. Okay, in your case, you're, you're talking about like paper mills. There, there's only there's only so much you can do with regard to odor. I mean, it you know you're going to be producing stuff, and again, like you say, if it's if it's not you know as long as you're complying with government regulations, how can people whine about it? You know what you're going to be getting into, right? And I've re- I've retired now, and I live in the rural area of Green Bay, and. There's three or four days of summer where the farmers spread yeah. liquid manure that you can't stand to open the windows in your house. But, right. but I knew that when we moved here. And <laughs> I grew up in a country. That's part of life. Well, well, right. I mean, yeah, exactly. Thanks. I mean, right. That's another one of those examples. You you go out and I, I know exactly what you mean. One of the golf courses I regularly play at, there's farm fields in the area. And some days you're, you're driving out to that at a certain point in time. And it's like, oh, my goodness gracious. But all right, that's. Those farm fields were there before the golf course was there, and the same thing's true. And look, and I appreciate that it's a nuisance. And I, I, I'm not, I am not necessarily unsympathetic to the people, for example, who are complaining about this living in Walker's Point. But what did you think you were getting into, Mike, on the northwest side? Mike, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. My, my analogy is uh, people buying houses by the freeway. They think that you know, uh, often right. the taxpayers should put up sound barriers for everybody. And they got the house for a cheaper price for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you my know? friend who bought the house uh, I mean, with the railroad tracks. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's like uh, buying a house for the airport with an arrow on your you got to figure a plane's going to fly over. Yeah, I mean, right, that, that's, that's exactly it. Now, again, if if there's something going on where, like our previous caller was saying, where you're vir- violating environmental rules or something like that, it's fine. But if it's just, okay, it's a sewage plant that's been making malorganite since the 1920s, which is taking human sewage and turning it into fertilizer, you know it's not living like you're living next door to a florist shop. Period. Case closed. Sorry. But I'm I'm not going to get outraged about this. That's a decision that you make when you buy the place. It's 1020. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Um, The New York Times is reporting that they now have the actual email itself, which was purportedly sent to Donald Trump Jr. by this British tabloid publisher. It gets kind of complicated here. Setting up a meeting with this Russian lawyer. Um, It will be curious. And once we can verify what the the text is, I will, of course, share it with you. Um, This is an interesting story we're going to be talking about a little bit later on this morning as well. A convicted sex offender in Waukesha County is soon set to be released and will be in need of housing. Where can he go and how will local residents respond? How would you respond? You can weigh in during Scafidi and Billstad at 1.35 today. Um, During our 11 o'clock hour, I'm going to approach that same topic, but from a slightly different perspective. Oh, Bernie. Oh, Bernie. Federal prosecutors stepping up probe of land deal pushed by the wife of Bernie Sanders. Okay, here's here's Mr. You know, capitalism sucks and all those type of things. Apparently, the FBI is uh, now starting to uh, aggressively target 
a, a land deal led by Jane Sanders, the wife and political advisor of Bernie Sanders. Um, investigators have apparently hauled off more than a dozen boxes of records from the Vermont College she once ran and are now calling uh, state officials to provide evidence for the grand jury. Um, Here's what happens. This investigation centers on the 2010 land purchase that relocated Burlington College to a new campus on more than 32 acres. Okay, this is in Vermont. When lining up a $6.7 million loan and additional financing. Now, this is, of course, this is Bernie Sanders' wife and political advisor. And, of course, Bernie, the big bank suck and all that type of stuff. Okay, so you've got the wife who's now lining up a $6.7 million loan and additional financing, she tells college trustees and lenders that the college had commitments for millions of dollars in donations that could be used to repay the loan. So she's trying to arrange for this college switch. They need six point, they want buy all this land, they want $6.7 million. They you know, are trying to get a loan. So the banks are saying, all right, well, how are we going to repay? How are you going to pay this $6.7 million back? And at least allegedly she's telling them, don't worry, we've got commitments for millions of dollars in donations, so we'll we'll be able to pay for this over time. Trustees say they later discovered that many of the donors had not agreed to the amounts or the timing of the donations listed on documents that Jane Sanders provided to a state bonding agency and a bank. That led to her resignation in 2011 amid complaints from some trustees that she had provided inaccurate information. Um, The land deal, because they didn't have the money to repay the, the loans, ended up in having that the college ended up having to close last year because, again, it got all these loans the investigation is centering on whether or not Mrs. Bernie Sanders went to the, these banks and essentially made false statements, claiming, hey, we've got all this money that's there. This is how we're going to repay it. And the money did not exist. So, again, they're focusing on whether Jane Sanders committed bank fraud. Um, it, it doesn't it doesn't reflect on, on Bernie, um, but here you have the progressive movement's most popular leader, a guy who is making a career about talking about the evils of the big banks and how, you know, they're screwing over the little people. And now, you know, your wife and chief political advisor is at least allegedly being investigated for bank fraud in connection with deceiving those big evil banks. Um, not a good story any way you cut it. It's 1026. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1028, Jeff Wacker, 620 WTMJ. New numbers show that fewer and fewer veterans are joining organizations that honor and serve them. John McCure shares the reason why at 320 today during Wisconsin's afternoon news. Yeah, that should be uh, very, very interesting. Um, I just, okay, today's the All-Star game, and I just, the Brewers go into the All-Star break with 50 wins. They're five and a half games ahead of the Chicago Cubs in the Central Division. Look, I more than half of the season is done. I don't know how this season turns out, but it's it's just it has been tremendous. Now here is my aggravation. Here is my aggravation with I, I believe they've got they've played almost fifty home games. There's an eighty one home game season. So I think they played forty nine. The the Brewers attendance is thirty. 000, now they they do well. I mean I think they're averaging around twenty eight thousand people a game, but their, their attendance they're thirty thousand 
below where they were last year. This is a fun team. They're winning lots of games. They're playing really good baseball. They're in first place by five and a half games. Now, I believe Milwaukee, southeastern Wisconsin, is, is a great – I believe Wisconsin in general is a great sports state. I think this is a great sports community. But here's the reality. It's almost embarrassing that with the team playing this well – there's still 30,000 behind where they were in attendance. Now, the Brewers have a big three-game homestand coming out outside the All-Star break. Then they go on the road for 10 days. So if if that stadium isn't, isn't sold out Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to support this first-place team, I don't know. There's something wrong with that. I've, I've made this commitment. I'm going to try to go to at least a quarter to a third of the remaining home games just because you, you want to show up, you want to watch good baseball, and, and you want to just support the hometown team because they're certainly playing well. So go out, see the couple ball games this uh, weekend. They're playing the Philadelphia Phillies. Philadelphia Phillies are a just a hot mess. So hopefully the Brewers will come out strong and continue what could be a special season. But sure, I think a lot of us did not see it coming, and it's absolutely outstanding, and you need to get out to the stadium and support this team. <laughs> It is 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you can't make this weekend's air and water show or you'll be lakeside and want a little play-by-play, then download the WTMJ mobile app. You can hear exclusive interviews with the pilots and crew and hear a description of all the action. Just download the WTMJ mobile app, and no matter where you are this weekend, you can enjoy the air and water show with us. That's very cool. Um, They do a tremendous job. I know a lot of the organizers, and I know how hard they work on this, and um, just take it in. It is a wonderful community event. Um, when you're at WTMJ.com and you're on our mobile app page, you can also download podcasts of this show. And I know lots of people do that as well. All right. This is one of these sort of heavy side cases. And once again, this is a story which, in my mind, underscores how behind public opinion our, our judges are in many cases and, and also how, how our politicians are. All right, here's um here's this story and it's it's just it's an unfortunate story. Um you know what you had happen. You might remember seeing this um there was a situation where you had a a 48-year-old man from Alberta, Canada who was hit and killed. What what happened is it was out in Delafield. Um, he had pulled over and was helping another driver change a flat tire on a minivan. So he's over by the side of the road. He's out. He's helping the driver, you know, change change the tires. What happens is that there's a car driving eastbound on I-94 shortly after 9 p.m. Um, the driver decides to pass other cars on the shoulder. So decides to pull off on the shoulder of the freeway. Well, here's this guy um, who, who's helping. There's a disabled van. He's out of his car. He's helping change the tire. What happens is the, the driver ends up hitting and killing the, the Good Samaritan, the man from Canada, who's out there changing the, the tire. A 56-year-old woman and an 11-year-old, and I presumably I, I think these are probably the people who had the flat tire, they were also taken to the hospital for treatment of injuries, but it's the it's the good what we call the good Samaritan. He's the guy that ends up getting killed. All right. Well, more details are emerging. 
The driver of the car that was trying to pass on the shoulder of the road, his name is Frank Schiller. He's 37 years old. All right, here, of course, is the, the dazzling detail. Um, an Oconomowoc, this is the way the story is reported in the local newspaper. An Oconomowoc driver arrested after a crash on Interstate 94 that killed a Good Samaritan helping another motorist has four prior drunken driving convictions and was free on a, wait for it, signature bond for a fifth such offense. I don't know if you know what a signature bond is, but a signature bond is is one of these things. You're charged with an offense. You don't have to post a dime. All you have to do is sign a piece of paper saying, I promise to appear, and if I don't appear, I promise to I promise to pay at whatever amount of dollar money it is. But you don't actually have to post bail. You just have to promise to post bail. So it, it's it's really a joke. I mean, it's a practical matter. It, it's really a joke because if, if somebody skips, in many cases, they don't have the wherewithal to post this anyways, but they get out of jail right away. So now it turns out that the guy who hit and killed this good Samaritan um, free on a signature bond for a fifth such offense. Frank Schiller, 37, is now being held on $1 million bail at the Waukesha County Jail. He's going to make a court appearance on Thursday. Okay, get this. Schiller has open cases in three counties. He had been free on a signature bond in his latest operating while intoxicated case from Milwaukee County. So you've got another Milwaukee County court commissioner or a judge who has put this guy, not just released him, but released him without requiring any bail to be posted at all other than his signature. He was also out on $1,000 bail in two pending Waukesha County drug possession cases and a $500 bail posted in an April drug paraphernalia possession case in Washington County. This guy has open court cases, Milwaukee, Washington, 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 and Waukesha County, and he's out on the streets. Uh, dot, 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 dot. Um, let's see. Um, they've already, um, Schiller was taken to the hospital. Deputies smelled the odor of intoxicants because of his record. No WI conviction. Schiller could have blood alcohol concentration of no lower than 0.02, a quarter of the legal limit. What do you want to bet that the numbers come back higher than that? According to the criminal complaint in Schiller's pending drunken driving case in Milwaukee County, witnesses on March 9th reported a man passed out in the driver's seat of a Ford Taurus in the 9200 block of West Blue Mound Road. Investigators arrived, found a hypodermic needle on the roof of the car, and Schiller appeared to be overdosing. He was taken to a hospital. He admitted having used cocaine and heroin. His case was postponed twice while lawyers awaited the results of blood tests. On June 29th, the case was set for a plea and sentencing on August 29th. All in all, Schiller has a criminal history involving drugs, bail jumping, battery, and other offenses dating back to 1998. So here you have a situation where somebody has four prior drunken driving convictions, a record of arrests for serious drug use, a Milwaukee County, either court commissioner or a judge, looking at his fifth potential felony charge, decides it's a good idea to release this guy on bail 
without requiring them to put up one dime. And surprise follows surprise. He's driving on the freeway. He tries to drive on the shoulder, and he hits and kills someone. Right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I understand this is frustrating. It's probably frustrating for you because it is frustrating to me. Because the truth of the matter is, we are all put in jeopardy. Our lives are put in danger. Number one, by the irresponsible drunks and druggies who are driving on the roadway. So that that's danger enough. But we are also put in danger by irresponsible judges and court commissioners who look at situations. I mean, my God, it's the guy's fifth drunk driving. And, I mean, again, it's kind of a spectacular drunken driving thing as well. Um, Passed out in the driver's side of a Ford Taurus, hypodermic needle in the roof of the car. The guy appears to be overdosing. Okay, that's, that's a fifth OWI, and he's out on a signature bail should we be surprised that he's going to smell of intoxicants and be out doing it again and now somebody is dead 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line i know that there are judges particularly milwaukee county judges who hate these discussions they don't like to have themselves or the court commissioners called onto account they brag proudly about how we use these computerized systems to try to decide if somebody is a, a risk And I also understand that you can't lock up everybody who is accused of a crime. But at the same time, for the love of God, if you have someone that has a lengthy history of drunken driving and all the indications are that they have they haven't gotten over their problems, whether it's with drugs or alcohol or whatever, how can you just continue to put them back out on the street knowing that they are very, very likely to continue engaging in the same bad behavior that they've engaged in for the last God knows how many years. How many people are going to have to die before certain people wake up? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I, I just I think this case is appalling. I think it is outrageous, but it is indicative of what goes on. Why in God's green earth should somebody with this record have been released on a signature bond, and should we be, and again, I'm not, clearly he's the bad guy. If he did this, he is the perpetrator, and and now maybe finally we'll protect people and he'll be back, he'll be behind bars for a lengthy period of time if, in fact, he is guilty of this offense. So, but, but somebody had to die for this to happen, and somebody else had to be put in a hospital for this to happen. 414-799-1620, we discuss next. It's 1045, this is Jeff Wagner. 1048, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I'm looking at the, the circuit court, the Wisconsin court system, their CCAP, their circuit court access thing, and I'm looking at this this Frank Charles Schiller, the person who's now believed to have been, he was the guy that passing someone on the shoulder hits and kills a guy the other day while he was changing a tire. Um, changing a tire. Um, he was out on, on bail um, for his, he, he, was, he was released, pending a change of plea and sentencing on his fifth, fifth 
of drunk driving offense. I, I'm, I'm looking at the circuit court thing. It's just, it is aggravating just to look at it because it details, okay, it details the nature of the charges. Um, the charge is operating while intoxicated. Fifth or sixth offense. This was allegedly his fifth. Um, bond amount, zero. No, no, they didn't make him post a dime. They did not make him post a dime before they let him walk out the door of the Milwaukee County court system, and now somebody is dead. Now, people want to know who was the judge, the, the, and it's impossible to tell from these records without pulling a file. The, the judge who's handling the case is Pedro Colon, that it's not necessarily the judge that set the bail. It could have been a court commissioner, but these stories happen all the time, and, and, this is, and the judges hate to be called to question about that. They say, well, you know, we've got this fancy system, and it's computerized. All right, who in their right mind lets a guy with this type of record out without having to post a dime of bail? Let's talk to um, John in Waukesha. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my yes, call. Sir. Uh, I believe uh, that uh, they know, they can find out who the court commissioner is. Oh, oh, yeah, you, you can pull the file. Absolutely. And it, it could have been the judge, could have been a court commissioner. I just can't tell from just what I have in front of me now. Right. right and yeah. I think what they should do is make that judge or court commissioner go to the funeral of this poor man yeah. that was killed and see the faces of his wife or children or relatives. And uh, I think that would be a step in the right direction. Well, it, it I mean, no, thanks. I mean, look, here, here's the thing. It, it I understand judges deal with countless cases every day, but in Milwaukee County in particular, and the judges don't like to hear this, but if you wonder why Milwaukee County and the court system has a reputation of being a revolving door court system, this is it. Who in their right mind takes somebody with this kind of record and releases them, sends them back out to inflict their particular type of damage on the general public without requiring any sort of bail at all. And here's the bottom line. As a condition of bail, you not only promise that you're going to show up, but you promise that you're not going to commit any more crimes. Well, who in their right mind? You look at this guy's track record. You look at the circumstances behind this. You knew... You knew that he was going to be drinking or drugging or whatever and back out on the road. Now, again, my guess is he doesn't have a driver's license. I don't know that. But with this type of record, you would expect it's probably suspended. That doesn't stop people from getting behind the wheel of the car in general. Don't know. Maybe maybe after four drunk driving convictions, he still was allowed to you know, operate a car. I, I doubt it. But somebody is dead. You release somebody who is facing a felony. You release them a fifth time without making them post a, a dime. 414-799-1620. Again, I don't know if it's Cologne, who is the judge, or whether it's a court commission or whatever, but I understand that somebody is dead. And they're dead because, in my opinion, a court official did not do their job properly. Let's talk to, um, let's see, we've got Michelle in Wapaka. Michelle, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Hi, Michelle. Um, how do we actually find out who this was? Well, I'll check it out. I mean, I, I'll have to try to, again, it's the, the, the circuit judge is Pedro Colon, but I don't know if he's, in fairness, it might have been a court commissioner. Those he's records will come out. But, but I guess the question becomes, the yeah, the, the question, I guess, becomes, Michelle, even if you find out, and here, this is the problem we have in Milwaukee County, none of the circuit judges get opponents. People, once you get appointed or elected, people run unopposed. These judges, you know, you can, you can scream, you can be outraged, you can just say, hey, they've got blood on their hands, but they don't care because they're going to get elected as much as they want. And that's the frustrating thing. There's not a lot mm-hmm. you can do. 
Yeah, I mean, thank, and I, w- I wish I had a be- I wish I had a better answer because the answer again. Some people say we need tougher laws. What you know? Okay, you don't need tougher laws. If this guy gets convicted of a, and, and now he's going to be in jail for a really, really long time, but somebody's dead. But the question is, what was he doing out in the first place in a position to be behind the wheel of a car again? And I just, I, I, I'm, again, I'm looking at the CCAP thing. Fifth offense, fifth or sixth offense, drunk driving, bond amount zero. Didn't have to post a dime before they sent him back, inflicted him back out on the community. And again, don't get me wrong, I understand who the bad guy is. It's the driver, all right? So I I appreciate that. But at some point in time, don't we look to the court system to protect us? And isn't it predictable that somebody with a history of drug and alcohol problems and driving intoxicated over and over again, that it's more likely than not that they're going to do the same thing. So don't you need to set some sort of bail that at least gives them an incentive to try to, well, I I don't know, not get themselves drunk and get behind the wheel of a car. And again, I I don't even know if the guy had a driver's license here. 414-799-1620. How many people need to die before we have a court system that wakes up? Bob in Menominee Falls. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Jeff, this is an absolute travesty, an absolute travesty. And I have to tell you, statistically, and I know you know this, but I'm sure many of your listeners don't, statistically, if someone has four or five or six or eight, pick a number, OWIs, you know how often when they're behind the wheel of the car, they're impaired 100% of the time. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Right, right, exactly, because... Unless you're going to clearly make a decision that you're going to turn your life around or something like that, right, it's, it, it kind of goes on till you end up hitting rock bottom. And, you know, fifth offense, and, and of course, the, the conditions here, I mean, sort of staggering here. They, they find him passed out in a car, allegedly. This was the fifth offense. Um, passed out in a car, hypodermic needle on the roof, appears to be overdosing, um, admits to using cocaine and heroin. I mean, Seriously, I mean, you, you don't have to have a crystal ball to figure out <laughs> this guy's got all sorts of issues, and chances are he's going to be out there doing it again. That's no, it, it is. I mean, and again, see, this is this, this isn't just a rant on the judicial system, and, and it, it's it's a at some point in time, don't you need to protect the rest of us? Because that's see, that's what I'm thinking when I read this story. And again, some people hear it and they they want to they want to look at it from pers- the perspective of the guy that's behind the the wheel, and and they don't have the blood tests back. They're waiting those, but he he essentially had zero tolerance. Cops say he he's smelled of alcohol. You you know that that something's going to, and he's driving. He's passing people. Again, I'm, I'm wondering why he's even behind the wheel of a car. And that's a whole nother story. If he had his driver's license back, he shouldn't have. That's, I think, pretty clearly. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're out on bail, even if it's a signature bond, awaiting trial for your fifth drunk driving conviction, and you've got all these pending other, like, par- drug usage charges out there, and the DMV is still letting you have a driver's license, there's something wrong with that as well. If, if that, in fact, is the case, I, again, I probably tend to doubt it. But what really goes through me is this could have been you. And this this could have been me. You stop by the side. Okay, you see there's this van by the side of the road. There's a woman standing next to it with a kid, and they got a flat tire. You you pull over. You want to help out. So here, here, ma'am, I'll help change the tire. And then you get somebody driving the shoulder that hits and kills you. For the love of God, 
I mean, that man should not have been out on the roadway. And I'm not excusing him, and he's going to be in prison perhaps for the next 20, 30, 40 years. He deserves to be in prison. But the truth is... There's somebody that was dead who might have been alive if maybe they had even just put a modest bond on this character. And we didn't. 1057, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in a couple minutes, interesting take on the story involving a sex offender who is now literally walking the streets of Waukesha. Stick around. It's 1057. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1108. This is Jeff Wagner. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. has just released the email chain uh, of showing the various emails that led up to this meeting that we talked about at the beginning of the show that is creating all this controversy. And these emails, in my opinion, are not going to make the controversy go away. What, what happened is you had this kind of entertainment lawyer, um, publisher of a tabloid in Britain who was trying to arrange a meeting between representatives of the Trump campaign and, as it turns out, this this Russian lawyer. Now, in and of itself, I, I don't know that that would, that would necessarily be a story. But here's, I mean, here's the email. For example, he writes that this is the email written to, to Trump Jr. The Crown Prosecutor of Russia met with his father, Aris, this morning, and in their meeting offered to provide the Trump campaign with some official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary and her dealings with Russia and would be very useful to your father, said an email from Rob Goldstone, an entertainment publicist who was trying to set up the meeting. These emails came on June 3rd. 2016, six days before Trump met with Russian Russian lawyer at Trump Tower in New York, and then there's a series of other, you know, emails setting up this meeting, including Trump Jr. going, "I can't wait." Now, um, the I, I think that there's a couple things we know. First of all, nothing that there was a meeting that occurred. There really wasn't any incriminating information that was offered. So the question is going to be, all right, and and again. It's not unusual at all. People contact campaigns all the time saying, I have incriminating information against the person that so-and-so is running against. I've got this dirt here. I want to meet with you. And, and those meetings do, do take place, you know, on, on all all levels. So there's nothing wrong with that. The, the question becomes here, of course, if you believe this email, this is information that Trump Jr. is being told is coming from um, you know, the, the Russian government. Now, there wasn't any information, ultimately, and, and maybe at, at the end of the day, that probably, in my opinion, means there's no crime that was committed here. I, I don't think there's going to be anything like that. But, but once again, the optics are extremely bad. And the question becomes, you know, when they were making disclosures earlier about meetings with various Russians, why wasn't this why wasn't this disclosed in the first place? And, of course, the obvious thing is, well, they, they thought it would look embarrassing. So I, I don't believe this is, again, an impeachable offense. I don't believe it's evidence of criminal wrongdoing. Some other people might disagree. But it's, it's again, it's going to be another distraction because this is going to be the story of the next couple days. It just doesn't go away. All right. I, I said yesterday I played in a... Um, Played in a golf outing in West Bend. Really well done golf outing run by the West Bend Chamber of Commerce. And and afterwards, I had the opportunity to. I, I was talking to some, some some business people in the community. And 
every once in a while, I, I, I admit this is the this is the danger of having me as a friend or having me as somebody that you run into at these events, um, because when I run into people who have actual real world firsthand knowledge of some of the things we talk about on the radio, I, I actually I like to test some of the, these theories that, that I have. And I, I said, OK, tell me the real world situation. So one of the people I, I was having uh, dinner with last night um I don't think I hope he's not going to mind me sharing the story. But I was talking to him. He, he runs a, owns a series of fast food restaurants throughout the state. I mean, a number of these fast food restaurants, and I'm and I'm not talking about just one or two. I'm talking about a lot of fast food restaurants. And I said, hey, if you don't mind me asking, I I'm really curious about this minimum wage stuff. And I, I just tell me what you think. And this isn't we're not reading about economists. That this is my opportunity. I'm sitting one on one talking to a very very successful businessman um, who again they're fast food restaurants. And I said, what if if this this minimum $15 an hour minimum wage would gain traction, you know, what do you think would, would happen? And, and I ask this because a week or so ago, they now the University of Washington comes out with a study. Seattle has now mandatory $15 minimum wage, and it's just, it's devastating. It's devastating like the, the low-income wage industry out there because it's not affecting like the higher-end restaurants or the higher-end employers. But what you're seeing is, for example, in the fast food business, they're, they're, they're getting rid of people. They're getting rid of people right and left. They're cutting hours dramatically. All these things would happen. So I asked this guy I was talking to, I said, just out of curiosity, what would happen if if Wisconsin were to say, you got to pay $15 an hour for your employers, employees? And he said, well, here, there's a series of things. He said, first of all, Minimum wage really doesn't come into play in Wisconsin because you, you you can't get good help at minimum wage. He said that the jobs the jobs are so it's the job market is so tight right now that you, you're really for most people you're not starting them at at the minimum wage. You have to pay above minimum wage to even get anybody that you want to work there. So he said so that's that's it. And he said well and most of the most of our like entry level workers, the the people that would be in the minimum wage plus jobs, and again they don't they pay more than minimum wage to get people. He said it's you know it's it's um it's retired people looking to pick up a few hours. Um, it's maybe some you know moms, for example, stay at home moms who are trying to pick up some some hours. He said or it's it's high school kids or it's college kids back for the summer. He said that's that's basically who is working at these type of jobs. I said, okay, well, let, let's say what would happen, you know, if you had to pay $15 an hour. And the first thing he said to me is, first of all, Jeff, it wouldn't just be raising them $15 an hour. You know, let's say we started somebody at 10. They've worked for us and worked up, uh, you know, through the system um, for the last four or five years, and now they're making 15 Well, we can't just you know, pay them the same as the starting level, you know, we're going to have to bump them to 20 or whatever that dollar amount would be. So he said, there's going to be, I said, I, I call it the trickle up effect. He said, yeah, that's, that's going to happen. He said, prices would increase. He said that that is, that is inevitable and they might increase substantially. He said, the problem is we also work in an industry where the margins, we're, we're concerned about the margins and, and there's only so much you can charge for a particular item. So if we have to boost the price of a, of a hamburger or an ice cream cone or, or French fries or, or whatever, if we have to boost that too much, we know that's going to result in fewer and fewer people coming out. You know, the family's going to decide, okay, we're not going to stop and, and do this. So he said, inevitably, you know, we, we, we will raise our prices, but 
at the same time, every time you raise a price, you, you run the risk of losing some business. And I said, that makes sense. And I said, well, what about automation? He said, well, you know, that, that's inevitable as well because once wages reach a certain point, it becomes – it makes a lot more sense for a business to invest in, in automation. You know, we talked about this a few weeks ago with um, a number of the Wendy's who are, you know, for $14,000, you can put in a self-ordering kiosk, and that can replace three people behind the counter. Well, all right, there, there's going to be a payback period. It's going to take, you know, you compare what it costs to put in the self-ordering kiosk versus the wages, and there's going to be a period of time where, you know, Maybe it's a two-year payback. Maybe it's a three-year payback. But you start saying, okay, now we're going to pay people $15 an hour. That three-year payback period becomes maybe a year payback period, and it makes more sense to do it. And in a lot of industries, including the fast food industry, it's not just self-ordering. There's apparently all sorts of things you can do behind the scenes to automate production if you choose to do it. And you're going to be more likely to choose to do it if, 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 your labor costs are now, instead of being $10 an hour, are $15 an hour for every employee. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The, the bottom bottom line of, of my takeaway from, from talking to this guy I was talking to yesterday was that if you were, and this is my interpretation, not his, that if, if you were to increase the minimum wage to $15 an hour, the real-world effect in Wisconsin just like the real-world effect in Seattle, would be fewer jobs, fewer hours, and, and probably even a net loss. I mean, if, if you're working, okay, let's say you're making $10 an hour and you're working 20 hours a week, okay, that, that's great. You can raise it to $15 an hour, but if your hours get cut to 10 or 12 hours a week, you're not coming out ahead. I just, in the real world, and I understand it sounds great. Let's make everybody, let's give everybody $15 an hour. The truth is, I think in the real world, it would be devastating in Wisconsin, and it would be devastating just like it is anywhere. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just found this to be a really interesting conversation because it, it kind of got it out of theory. And I was asking, you know, what do you think the real world effect would in fact be? So for everybody who thinks $15 an hour as minimum wage would be a great start and would be wonderful helping people make more money. And believe me, I'm not against making more money, but I just don't think that's how it plays out in the real world. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is, is this still the way to go, or would it be a really, really, really bad idea? We discuss next. 414-799-1620. It's uh, 1119. This is Jeff Wagner. 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1120. Jeff Wagner. 620 WTMJ. Seattle increases the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Uh, that That's, the, of course, the liberal mantra. Oh, this is great. More job sustaining. It, it's been devastating. Because what happened is the way businesses are responding, it's not even up to $15 an hour yet, is that they are cutting people's hours. And I was talking to somebody who runs a bunch of fast food chains, and he was telling me, you know, you, know, you, you bump it to $15 an hour, and it's going to lead to more automation. It's going to lead to hours being cut. It's going to be leading to price increases. What they're finding in Seattle is the minimum wage workers, they're actually worse off because their hours are cut. Let's talk to Debbie in Green Bay. Debbie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. I Hi. completely agree with you that that's not the way to go. 
um, you talked about people, their hours being cut, but I also think it's going to then place the people that are working, they're, ha- they're going to have to work even harder, and you're going to see people having to wait longer. Oh, yeah. But my second comment was going to be um, entry-level jobs aren't supposed to be permanent jobs. No. They're supposed to be just starter jobs. And so, like, my son works at Subway. Um, that's right. not a permanent job for him. That's to get him by. Our whole intent is to have him get further education and, and do right. more. Right. And, and, and matter of fact, the guy I was talking to yesterday, and it, there, there are exceptions to this, so I, I understand that. But, it, you know, most of the, the people that are working in what we're calling the entry-level jobs, it, it's either kids like your son, they're in high school, or it's college right. kids who are on vacation or it might be retirees who are looking to pick up a little bit of extra money, um, you know, and they've got some time on their hands. Or in some cases, again, it's like the stay-at-home moms who have a chance to, hey, we can pick up a few bucks. It's not people that are trying to support a family of four because you, you, even if you raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, you, you can't do it. These aren't those type of jobs, and they never will be. Yeah, I mean, I think, and that's the thanks, and and that goes kind of that's sort of what the reality of this this is. But to me, it's so interesting because as this is playing out, and again, you have more communities because it's this sort of liberal mantra, and it's feel good, and it's somebody else's money. Let's make the minimum wage fifteen dollars an hour. But the lesson is, it it's it's not helping the workers. And the thing that's, again, in the background of all this is automation. Because at some point in time, when you start increasing labor costs, you, you can, you can automate. You can put in those self-ordering kiosks. I mean, I, the story I always tell is whenever you used to go to the racetrack, you know, there was always, you, you'd go, there'd be, there'd be betting windows and there'd be people behind the betting windows, you know, taking your bets. Nowadays, you go down to Arlington Park and you, you know, good luck. You, you'll, you'll find some people, but you won't find too many because everybody uses the self-service tellers. You put the cash in, you put your bet. You're a little bit scared to do it the first time, but once you do it, you don't wait in line to actually interact with the tellers. So, you know, be careful what you wish for. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to um, Tom in Greenfield. Tom, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, yeah morning, Jeff. Uh, I went to McDonald's uh, just recently, three of them, and it really disgusted me. One of them was uh, had the drive through and had the the restaurant open, you know, and I felt like, well, they were shorthanded, and it's sort of like, who's, am I, the cust- am, I, am I the customer inside there, or am I supposed mm-hmm. to be taken care of first, or am I supposed to drive through, I said, well, heck of this, you know, went to another one that was closed, and I, you know, I, uh, like three of them, and I just stuck out at all three of them, and it's just like, what, I mean, like McDonald's, what? okay, you sell billions and billions of hamburgers, but you you, right. don't, you don't care about me, the customer. Well, I mean, I see. I think. I mean, Tom. See, I, I don't want to pick on McDonald's, but I mean, I, I think you, you find this. I think you find this true. In the, if, if you talk to if you talk to people who run like restaurant franchises, they will tell you the number one problem they have is in finding. At the end of the day, it's a it's it's a food business, but it's also a customer service business. You know, and they'll tell you the number one problem they have is trying to find. Good workers, workers who show up, you know, workers who um, are good with customers. I mean, that's always a battle. That's why, again, this fifteen dollar, the, the minimum wage. I mean, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of these. For example, these these fast food franchises, or, or actually a lot of the retail places, you can't get away with paying minimum wage because you. 
you know, there's there's so much demand for good workers that if, if you start somebody out at nine bucks an hour or whatever, if you're offering nine, the other place is going to be offering 11 because they need those good workers. So that kind of takes care of it as well. Let's talk to Kathleen in Waukesha. Kathleen, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Good morning to you, Jeff. Hey, you know, the re- real reason around all of this is I'm from Milwaukee, and I started at McDonald's in 1974 and worked there till 1977. Met my husband there. He could have stayed there as a as a manager and decided to go work at Briggs & Stratton, okay? Right. So that's what we're missing. That's the missing link, because not everyone is college-bound. Not everyone is technically bound. And so what happens is, is you've, 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 the city of Milwaukee or the surrounding areas was built on laborers. People working at the breweries, Briggs and Stratton, you know, right. AC sure. Spark Club, correct? Right. Oh, yeah. So Alice Chalmers, you name it. Yep. You're right. My mother worked at Alice Chalmers. My father worked at Hell Company for 43 years. My mom was a key punch operator. You're missing those, and that's the thing that Trump is trying to do, and I get it, but we've taken away the good labor jobs. And that's why people are saying, hey, that's why we want to make more minimum wage at a job that at least we have. Now, you're right. It's college. It's high school jobs. So where do we find that bridge? Because everyone isn't, you know, and everybody goes to college is not going to be able to get good paying jobs. And you're saying now that we need more laborers, right? WCTC, MHC. Oh, or or more people in the vocational trades. Where where are the next generation of plumbers and electricians and and people going to come from? Absolutely. No, I mean. There's a lot of things going on. We have to look at the root cause, you know, like the iceberg effect, and we have to say, hey, you know, there's a root cause here, and we're forgetting what that root cause is. We've taken away the labor jobs. We've taken away where somebody can go earn a good wage, come home and take care of their family, and even their wives work, and and they work in the blue-collar and the white-collar industry because Briggs didn't just make that or... Right. Oh no! Exactly. I and, and, well, and Kathleen, don't. I mean, that, that's of course the, the macro issue. And don't get me wrong. I'm I'm the guy. I mean, look when when I when I graduated from Nicolay High School back in the day, um, there were we we had the different factories. You had the breweries. All the different. You had the Alex uh, Alice Chalmers, and you had you had Briggs. The, what the reality was back then, and I hate to sound like oh get off my lawn, kids, but the reality was back then if you had somebody with a decent work ethic and a high school education. You could go to work, you could get in with one of the factories, and you could, you know, you weren't going to get rich, you weren't buying a Learjet, but you could you could earn a good middle-class wage. You could have a reasonable-sized house, you could go, you know, you could buy a car, you could go on vacation up north, wherever you wanted to find up north, you know, during the summer. You could do those things. And the unfortunate thing is those jobs have gone away. And I, I don't know where the, I don't know that those, jo- those jobs, let's face it, they're not, they are not coming back. But that doesn't mean that there aren't all sorts of other good jobs that are out there. You know, hey, okay, go be a plumber. People need pl- people need electricians. People need all these types of things. You know, people need folks who can work with their hands and are willing to you know work in the machine shops and things like that. I agree with you. We need to get a do a better job uh, of hooking people up with their abilities. I'm just saying I don't think $15 an hour artificially inflating a minimum wage. I don't think that's going to work because the it, it's not. What's playing out in the real world is it's not helping people because employers are cutting back hours. They're going to automation, so people end up being worse. It's 1129. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1136. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So outgoing New York Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who wanted to be president, and that didn't work out. Um, then wanted a cabinet position, and that didn't work out. Um, he, he's now a di- 
He's auditioning for a radio job on WFAN in New York. It's like, all right, okay. And apparently that, that one, it, it, it sort of got heated because yesterday he's filling in on a sports program and he, he got into an argument with a bunch of callers. Um, one calls up and says to him, Hey, next time, you know, you know, next, next time you want to go to the beach, why don't you, you know, take your fat, you know what, and go to a beach that's open to the general public. And then Christie calls the guy a communist. Then it kind of just breaks down from there. So sort of, sort of entertaining. Um, perhaps my advice to the, the governor is, but maybe you you want to leave the the radio stuff to the professionals at least for a, a limit a little bit of a period of time. But I'm thinking, okay, he wanted to be president, and that didn't work out. And then then he wanted to be like I say a cap. He wanted to be attorney general, and that didn't work out. And now he wants to be a radio talk show host. So, you know, he, he's starting big. He is he's starting big. So that's interesting. All right, this this is an aggravating story. But it, it underscores a, a bigger problem. And, and nobody likes to hear what I'm about to say. Nobody wants a convicted sex offender living next door to them. All right? I, I understand that. And if all of a sudden in my community, somebody, I got a notice from the police department saying, hey, guess what? Um, this guy that's just this pedophile who's got two convictions just out, he's going to be living in the apartment building you know, down the street. Okay, I, I understand why people don't want to hear that. The problem, though, is that people, once they've served their time and once they're scheduled to be released into the community, they have to go somewhere. And to me, it always makes sense that if you came out of a particular community, if you committed your crimes in Milwaukee County. You know, we shouldn't be dumping you in Port Washington. I mean that you should, you know, be, be going back essentially to, to where you, you came from, you know, in general terms. But but the issue is we have all these ordinances that make it difficult for doing this. I mean here's here's the latest story. Um, Journal Sentinel has it. A sex offender is due to be released from prison. The guy's thirty two years old. He was convicted in two thousand and two thousand three. So this is 14 and 17 years ago, for second-degree sexual assault of a child, both occurring within an institutional facility. Okay, so this is, um, I mean, he's 32, so I assume like he's in a juvenile detention facility and he gets convicted of sexual assault. All right, so but he served his sentence. He is due to be released. So what happens, though, is I mean, he's from Waukesha, so they want to send him back to Waukesha. Waukesha, though, has an ordinance that says that offenders who committed a crime against a child cannot permanently reside closer than 1,500 feet of schools, parks, trails, daycare, or other places children regularly gather. So you can't be closer than 1,500 feet. All right. That means there's very few places that people can be. You know, Journal Sentinel had already reported that there were no housing units outside the city of Waukesha, but within Waukesha County, where the guy could reside that would rent to high-risk sex offenders. So as the result of this ordinance, there's really no place outside the city that he can go. And that's the same place, that's the same true of in, in Milwaukee, and the suburbs. It's nearly impossible for released offenders to find housing. And they estimate in 2016, Milwaukee had 230 homeless sex offenders. So what 
what you have is you have these people who admittedly, you don't necessarily want them in the neighborhoods, but they're back in the neighborhood anyways. But because of these various ordinances, they can't find places to live. So they're out on the streets. Well, I understand why you don't want people necessarily in an apartment at the end of the block, but isn't that better than having the people just wandering around on the streets? And in the case of Waukesha, I remember, was it last year they had a problem with one of these guys who's literally, he's there with a shopping cart, he's got nowhere to live, and he's, he's walking the streets, but, you know, he, he ends up, they also got ordinances saying you can't be this close to a school, you can't be this close to a, a daycare center. I mean, here's, here's the problem with all this. These local ordinances that put on these incredible restrictions that essentially make it impossible for somebody to find a place to live, those can't be allowed to stand on the books because you've got to have a place for people to go. I think it is only fair that if somebody is from Waukesha, and they've, if they're from Waukesha County and they've committed this crime and 15 or 20 years later they're due to be released and they're coming back, I don't think it's fair to dump them you know, in some other place. I think it's best if they want to go back to Waukesha to have them go back to Waukesha. But if Waukesha has got all these ordinances that set up that make it impossible for them to live in Waukesha, what, what do you do? they got no place to go. We're released, so you put them on the streets. Same is true in Milwaukee. You don't need to pick on Waukesha. This goes on all over. And I would argue that if you're trying to have somebody who either rehabilitates themselves or doesn't reoffend, it's much more likely that they're going to do it if they've now been dumped out on the streets. And just like people, again, don't want somebody, I don't know, with this background necessarily you know, living in an apartment complex within a mile of where they live, I would think it's arguably worse to have that same person who's now back on the streets wandering the streets homeless. It's just... It's just something that these communities, and I understand, the local officials, they're never, ever, ever, the quickest way to get voted out is for these local officials to say, okay, we're going to pass ordinances which relax the restrictions we have on sex offenders. That, that would just be electorally you know, a, a nightmare. But at the same time, the reality is, the reality is they have to go somewhere. So if the local ordinances are restrictive, you know, maybe you need a state law that says you can't do this to, again, Or at least you can't pass these incredibly restrictive ordinances, which essentially guarantee that there's no place in a particular community for somebody like this to go. And here you got a 32-year-old guy who's now being released. They can't find a place for him to live. He can't, essentially because of the ordinances, you know, find a place that will rent to him. So he's on the street. How does that benefit anybody? All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, what would you do? If you found a boatload of cash, I need you to be honest. Stick around. It's 1144. It's 1147. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right. There's one more thing, kind of a lighter topic I want to discuss before the program ends. Um, I love found money. The other day I was I pulled out a pair of uh, shorts that I hadn't worn in a while. Reached in the pocket. There's a $20 bill. There's a $20 bill. I'm thinking, oh, it's just kind of like found money. It's not, you know, it's not earth-changing, but, but it's great. I, I'm the guy that if I'm looking down at the ground, I find a nickel or a dime on the ground, or even a penny. I'll stop and pick it up. It's found money. So here's the story. A guy in Eau Claire, he goes to the Menards parking lot a couple weeks ago. He, he's going to Menards, you know, because he wants to 
get something for he's he's doing a garage improvement thing, and so he he goes into the parking lot, um, as he so he's bought whatever he needs to do. He's walking back to his truck, and he notices there's a shopping cart, you know, that, that's in the parking lot, and the shopping cart has an expandable envelope in it. So somebody's left left an envelope there. He goes over. He says, "Hey, I, I thought it was a grocery list or something, but it's this big envelope." I go over. I look at it. He finds. He opens it up. And inside the envelope, he finds documents, and he finds, wait for it, $29,000 in cash wrapped in plastic in, in this envelope and some identifying information. Guy says, I wondered if it was legitimate. Um, I thought, what did I get myself into? He then says he found a name on the documents. So this wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just. $29,000 in envelope. He finds a name on the documents. He tries to contact the owner, but has no luck. He then says, okay, I'm, I'm just going to turn it in. He calls the Eau Claire Police Department. He says, I found this money. He turns in the $29,000. They're ultimately able to find the owner and return the money. So the, the guy's kind of a hero. At the same time, the truth of the matter is, he found $29,000 in cash. And if he had decided to keep it, there's probably a pretty good chance that nobody would have known the difference. Now, now maybe he could have gotten caught, but but probably not. All right, we've only got a couple minutes. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want you to be honest. All right, be honest. If you found a bunch of money under these circumstances, envelope, on the ground, in the shopping cart, parking lot you find a, you find an envelope with $29,000 in cash and what would you have done with it now be honest you know be honest would you have kept it um now in this particular case like i say there was there was some identifying information so you had a good idea as to who it was but i don't know that that does it change the dynamic if there's not if it's just 29 grand in an envelope what would you have done with it let's start with janelle downtown you're at 620 wtmj good morning hey jeff um in terms of like that amount of money um there's no way that i think i could either morally or realistically legally feel like i'm entitled to that right on the other hand and i I'll admit I have done it. I found um, like fifty dollars on the ground. Right. Um, as you know, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars. That's not a life changing amount of money. Right. I kept it. I went out to dinner. Kept yeah. it local. <laughs> so I mean, if it's a life changing amount, right. absolutely not. Well, and so so somewhere between okay, and so somewhere between twenty nine grand and fifty grand is where the limit comes in, huh? Well, I, I would say uh, honestly, more than two hundred dollars, I yeah. would. At least try to find dollars. Right. Yeah. See, and I, I guess I, I I understand exactly where you're coming from. I mean, the, the truth is, Janelle. Let Let's say I was in a Menards parking lot, and you know, I, I I'm on the ground. There's there's a twenty dollar bill, and I, I look around, and there's nobody around. You know, I mean, it's it's not like you can clearly see that it fell out of somebody's purse or some woman's purse or something. There's just twenty dollars there. I agree with you. I'm I'm putting that. Maybe I'm a bad person, but I'm I'm not gonna. Go in to Walmart, say or to the store. Say I found this twenty dollars. I'm probably keeping that twenty nine right. grand. I'm turning it. I, yeah, and I, it's good as yours at that point if it's just chump change. Yeah, right. Thanks. I mean, so I, I, do, I do wrestle with that. I wouldn't be keeping the twenty nine grand. Um, I'm sorry, Diane and Elkhorn. Diane, you're at six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, we were in Whitewater, and 
found an envelope on the floor at Walmart. Okay. And it had a bank or bank statement in there for with someone's phone number. Right. So we just called the number on the thing, and the person came, and we met them at uh, McDonald's, and we gave it right back. Right. Right. Yeah. I thanks. I mean, I see. To me, it's also an easier call if you. Perhaps morally or ethically, it's no different. But but if it's a bank, if you know whose it is, and you decide to keep it, that that's I, I don't know if legally that's theft, but it's it's closer to that. The, the bigger question to me is also: What if there's not identifying documents in there? What what if it's just you find that that blank envelope? You know what what would you do? Let's talk to Mary um, in Verona. Mary, you're in six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, what do you do? You find twenty nine grand in an envelope in the Menards parking lot. What are you doing with it? Well, I keep it, but I report it to the police. There's absolutely no way. Yeah. Um, if you have a conscience, you could keep that. Think of the person that lost it. I oh mean, yeah. What they're going, what they're going through, and and karma. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <you just> can't. <laughs> yeah. It's, so, so okay. Now, what what if it's a hundred dollars? Does that change the dynamic? No, I would. I wouldn't report the amount I found, but I would report. Yeah, I found an amount. And okay. You, you know, describe okay. where you lost it, and no, consciously I couldn't keep that either. Oh, thank, thank, well, see, I guess I. Again, I don't know where that. At some point in time, the the ob, the idea, the ability of finding who the legitimate owner is, I mean, does come into play. If you find 5 or $10 that, that's on the street, I mean, I don't, again, it, it's one thing, if you if you have reasonably, I think it fell out of that lady's purse or whatever, That that's a different one. Um, I, I agree, twenty nine grand. there's no way I'm, I'm keeping it. And if there's any sort of identifying information on pretty much any amount of money, I'm probably not keeping it as well. But this guy turned it in, and they found the owner, so um, that's sort of good Samaritan. I think most people would do that.